It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is of course Mr Joe Bray. Joe, is it going? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, enjoying a, a match day minus one as they call it, so lots mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Of course it is, it's a busy all week for us here but it's, it's been a, a positive one for City at least. Back to winning ways on Saturday following on from that um Disappointing result at Anfield last week. Um, they needed a big response. They had a week of rest and recuperation to get over that uh, stinging defeat. And uh, they, they, they got over it in quite some style. A 3 1 win over Brighton Joe. Erling Haaland back to normality with another two goals. Uh, an absolutely wicked shot from Kevin De Bruyne. And uh, yeah, business as usual. Yeah, it's exactly what City needed. Um, they were not at their best, I didn't think, but. I think in hindsight, a lot of that goes to how Brighton set up, which I'm sure we're going to have a bit of a chat about. But yeah, City just needed to get that win, get Haaland back scoring. I know it was only one game that he'd missed, but it's two City games that he's not scored. So apparently that's a a big goal drought for for Erling Haaland. But he he managed to get his uh, 16th and 17th goal, which is already better than any City player got in the Premier League last season, which is just ridiculous. And that first goal... You could, when you saw him running down the centre of the Etihad pitch, you, you knew something was going to happen. And the way he knocked over Adam Webster and, and rolled it in was quite a sight. It's just it was, no one was ever stopping him getting that ball and, and knocking it in. So, yeah, it was um, a, a useful win for City. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but uh, you can't really complain when you beat a good side, 3-1 at home, some good goals, and uh, move on to the next one in the in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I thought the the opening goal was just hilarity, and it's um, it's kind of uh, was it slapstickedness, I suppose. Just the yeah. the way that Webster thought he had it, and no, the ball, the ball, the bulldozer does come off and just sent him sprawling. And you know, we'll, we'll get to it a bit more. I actually think it was quite an interesting goal as well, as we'll get to. But you know, you mentioned their Brighton's kind of set up. Um, it was kind of a man to man sort of system. It's kind of similar to what um. Marcelo Bielsa used to always kind of practice at Leeds. And of course, um, the first time Bielsa faced City, it was actually a quite an exciting 2 2 draw back. Um, I think it might have been before COVID, that, if I do recall correctly. Um, so it's something that City, when done against them well in the past, you know, it has got joy against City, that man to man thing. But um, how do you think they kind of dealt with it um, against Brighton? Well, if you looked at Pep Guardiola on the sidelines, he, he, was, he looked so unhappy the whole game. He was on Bernardo's case from the first minute to the 90th minute, um, trying to get him into position. It seems like it was a real task for City to to try and combat that, but it's so much better to watch when there's a team that comes to the Etihad and, and tries to play their way and, and give City a go. And we were saying at full time that it's been such a better game with Brighton having a go, especially in that second half. 
they were 2-0 down at half time. They could have just folded and, and accepted, yeah, we'll lose 2 or 3-0 here. But they came out and had a go and they'll be so much better for that, having give it, given a go. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was interesting. There was a breaking play about eight minutes in, I think, and Guardiola had Bernardo and Haaland next to him. And he immediately called over Diaz and Edison. And the four of them were waving their arms and pointing and clearly discussing something quite important tactically. And then that resulted in hindsight in, in the, the first goal because I think Guardiola explained after the game that he wanted Haaland to drop quite deep. If, if Brighton were going to go man-to-man, then they had a back three. They had Lewis Dunk on Haaland all the time, or as Guardiola put it after the game, uh, our players can't go to the toilet without a man following them. Uh, the only person who can go to the toilet is Edison because they were literally marking every single player. So the, the response was move Haaland as sort of into the midfield, draw Dunk out of that line and then create space. And we saw that in the first goal. Bernardo lays it back to Edison. Edison straight down the middle. Ha- Haaland then spins leaves Dunk maybe a yard or two behind and that's all he needs. And we've seen Haaland, if he's got 10, 15 yards of space to run into, nothing stopping him. And that's that's what he did. He got to the ball before uh, Robert Sanchez badged Webster out of the way. And it looks like a pretty straightforward route one goal. But in hindsight, you look at it and you think, do you know what, That's that's been coming for a while. And it's, it's as a result of bringing Haaland into the... He was in his own half when I think Edison kicked the ball. Um, and then City were able to to create space where it seemed like there was no space. The amount of times Edison had it and had no one to pass to it, one time he passed straight to Danny Welbeck. So they, they had to make the space themselves. And I think you've got to give City credit for, for working the way around that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's actually quite interesting what you say there. You, it sounds like you think it was a bit more, they worked it out on the fly sort of thing when they saw a Brighton came up and they kind of discussed it sideline. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if you've seen what Manuel Akanji said of the game. Well, I, yeah. I thought it was quite interesting. It, it felt like it was an in-game an in-game mm-hmm. switch. But yeah, Akanji was saying we did it before and yeah, fair play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was quite interesting, I thought, because well, what he said was, um, we saw it in the video that they play 1v1 at the back. So everybody knows that it's never easy to get 1v1 against Haaland. Well, early Haaland. We trained for that and Eddie played a perfect ball to Erlin and he was able to run through and score the goal. It's something we have got to get um, got to use when we have a player and a goalkeeper like this. So I think that's quite an interesting change because it's as you say, um the kind of they knew they knew that Brighton were going into it would do this man at least at the back would go man to man. And when you have Haaland, you basically there's not many people who can win a duel with him. It's only you know Virgil van Dijk who's had much success so far in being able to cope with his kind of physicality, his pace, his movement, his intelligence, his just you know absolutely everything as we've discussed numerous times. But it's this it's this idea that I think a lot of people just kind of um, tag Guardiola with the brush of oh it's just pretty football he can do his pass it's boring blah blah and that's it's, it's honestly never been the case because I, I remember vividly one example when he's Bayern Munich manager against Dortmund um, before Haaland's time, of course. But um, when he was Bayern Munich manager, um, Dortmund was ready to kind of press Bayern really high, um, knew that they'd passed the ball about and wanted to get in amongst them, press them high, try and not let them get out. And then what Bayern did was just, under Guardiola's kind of directive, was just boot it long to Thomas Muller. <laughs> I think they were 4-0 up within 20 minutes, wherever it was. I think they absolutely battered them that day. And it's Guardiola's never been 
afraid of going for the long ball if it's the right option for the game. He, he, he I think people think he's kind of um, quite married to his this style of play. And I, I think he's quite a bit more pragmatic than we might want to kind of, sometimes we kind of give him credit for. The reason he keeps the ball so much, as a, usually, is because you can't concede. If you've got the ball, if you've got control of the game, you're almost certainly going to win it. You're at least not going to concede. You might, on the odd occasion, not score, but that's very unlikely these days with Haaland in the side. But I think this long ball, I think it's a tactic we'll see more and more often. And you'd like, you'd probably think it's one, well, it's one that they got stung by, let's not forget, um, against Liverpool just last week. It was just a long ball from Allison to Salah, 1v1. Salah won the duel with Cancelo and went on and scored. I think it's a, it's a, it's a ploy, if not like a, an out and out tactic for the whole game. It's like a, it's a weapon that can be deployed when teams are least expecting it. And I, I suspect as the season goes on, when we get the um, you know, the close Champions League ties and that sort of stuff, when teams kind of try and press City a bit too much for the liking, or I like Brighton trying to go for that one for one, they could get hit with a long ball out of nowhere. Cause as as a kanji put it, you know, you've got Edison, who's one of the most accurate long ball players on the planet. So when you've got that and you know the ports, no slouch in that front either. John Stones, of course, and even Rodri, like there's a bill, there's the ability to bypass the usual attacking patterns, just hit that long ball. And when you've got Haaland there to bomb through, and as we've seen, it wasn't exactly like he was. It's not. I don't think it was easy as Salas. Salas did amazingly to beat Cancelo, but he had one v one. Haaland had three players around him basically, mm. and he outran them all. And as we said, left Webster absolutely flying. Um, when you've got that sort of weapon at your disposal at the other end of the pitch, it makes it an even more attractive option. Yeah, and we, you're talking about Edison there. Clearly, he does have that in his lock and, and the ball for the goal was brilliant. And it, I, th- I think someone did a screenshot of actually how much it moves out and then in throughout. It must have gone about 10 yards out and then in back into the, the centre of the pitch. And that's probably maybe put Sanchez off a little bit and thought, oh yeah, I'll get to this. And actually, no, I'm not. And Haaland's coming in. But on the whole, I thought Edison didn't have a great game. His distribution was a little bit wonky. The few balls went out of touch. And again, that that goes down to Brighton's pressing and, uh, you know, the fact that City were looking for that and often he didn't have any free options to pass to. He had to maybe take a few more risks. But when it mattered, when when the, the plan came to fruition and the opportunity presented itself he did come up trumps and uh yeah it's, it's an, it goes down as a, an assist for him and and it did uh, really well but you talk about possession as well I think Brighton I don't know the exact stats but they had more possession than City and that really doesn't happen often especially at the Etihad so uh City did well and it, I think Guardiola likes it when teams come and give him something new to think about and have a go because City are better when they have space to run into and and uh, they can let their players attack. They will beat teams if they put 11 behind the ball. They will find a way to beat them. But I think they would prefer more open games. So you got the impression, even though it wasn't a stroll in the park against Brighton, they probably will learn more from a game like this where they've been really, really tested and had to just think a little bit more about the tactics than if Brighton had just come and sat everyone behind the ball and and lost 3 or 4 nil because that happens all the time. But no, I think... Pep was really, really full of praise for um, Roberto De Zerbi and spent most of his post-match talking about exactly how good they were. Um, and yeah, I think on that show in Brighton, I know they've not won yet under De Zerbi, but they're 
they'll cause a lot of teams a lot of problems. They were really, really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just going to say myself, let's not forget Brighton, a really good mm-hmm. team. I know, as you say there, they haven't won under the new manager yet and they have hit a bit of, um, you know, the momentum has um, stuttered since they lost Potter, as it, you know, no one can blame them for that. The man who was making everything sing has, you know, gone on to Chelsea and done really well there so far as well. Um, so lose, you know, there's no slouches. So to get that win against a team who are doing something, as I say, I can't remember, I, at the top of my head, Leeds, when they first played Leeds at Ellen Road, it ended 2-2, didn't it? That's the last time I can think of, well, I'd imagine when they played Leeds subsequently, but they absolutely battered them and, you know, Leeds had lost a bit of the fire that they had when they first came up. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of tactic that we don't really see City have to deal with often, it's just off the top of my head, but it may be one that that could cause a miss, you know, if any scouts watching that game of the bigger teams, they might be looking at that thinking, oh, here's a way we can frustrate City and, you know, we have, the bit no disrespect to Brighton, but we have, let's say, you're Bayern Munich preparing for a Champions League knockout tie. You can go, oh, we, we know that this can frustrate them and we have the better players. We have Kimmich and Masala and Blooming Graven Birch and all that. We have the players of a much higher quality to sustain it and to make them even more kind of frustrated and probably uh, hopefully kind of get a win from their perspective. But I think what's good for City is that they still won, even despite being frustrated. And as we said, with the Haaland thing, they've got a response to it whenever a team does try and hit them with a similar sort of tactic in the future. Yeah, that's it. You've, you've got to be really well drilled. And for however well Brighton played, they switched off once and it resulted in a goal. They'd let Haaland nip through in the box and should have conceded a penalty. Then they let Bernardo do the same thing. Now, I'm not as sure it was a penalty as some are making out, but they they did switch off a couple of times and, and found themselves 2-0 down. And, and that's what can happen if you, you're not 100%. But yeah, like you say, if you're one of those sort of bigger teams who are well drilled and do have a, a plan and are able to do that, um, you, you will probably have seen this game and probably the game, um, the Liverpool one earlier, You'll, you'll be able to see chinks in City's armour. But at the same time, we're talking about how good Brighton were and they've lost 3-1. And uh, after, as soon as Kevin De Bruyne scored, and it was a brilliant goal, that the game was done. It, it was like they'd sort of admitted defeat and that was when they, not rolled over, but they thought, OK, let's let's take the two-goal loss and, and move on and, and go forward. Um, mm-hmm. There was one quote from Guardiola I've just got up. Where is it? He was saying, with the sort of, to combat the, the man-to-man, he said... Kevin, Phil, Jack, we can do it. With Erling and Julian, we can do it. But with long transitions, we aren't used to the quality. And Bernardo can't do it. And Gundogan can't do it. So maybe that was why he was really on Bernardo's case. He obviously didn't play Gundogan, who was on the bench. And he he did seem like he was worried. As I say, the whole time, and he was on the edge of his technical area. And if if it didn't go right, he was moaning and getting up and huffing and puffing and... uh, I think he will really look at that game and, and as you say, if it's a maybe a step-up opponent from Brighton, see a way that City can be got at. But um, for now, they've got the three points and, and that's what they'll be most happy with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was a win, so we don't want to focus too negatively, even though we will come back on to another kind of concern momentarily. But let's get back to praising Kevin De Bruyne, an absolute sensational goal. 25 yards or so, just just most beautiful trajectory on the shot, straight in the top corner. And I, I find it interesting, speaker Guardiola, his comments after the game, he he, 
he basically said he, he, fantastic goal and he, he really helped us. You know, he basically killed the game, as you said. But um, here's what he said. He said, he can be better. He's not playing at his top level, Kevin. Not yet. I mean, blimmin' heck. If even De Bruyne operating at this level is not safe from, I think I, I would it as Guardiola's relentless quest for perfection, then I don't know how many other players deal with it because they must come under spam much more criticism. I mean, I, I think De Bruyne is, is four ahead of anyone else in the assists rankings. He's got nine at the minute, top of that table. I think Alex Awobe, strangely, is um, closest to him with five. He nearly had another two to his name against Brighton. If Laporte's header had been an inch the other side of the post from his corner, and I believe, was it Mares he played through, and it was um, mm-hmm. Sanchez's uh, outstretched foot that directed that shot just wide. It's interesting. I find it interesting how Guardiola kind of manages his players. If we go back to the Dortmund game, um, when I especially and a few of us were really critical of Grealish, a really non-existent performance, running down dark alleys or blind alleys, I should say. That's the uh, that's the same. Um, really not effectual against a tough team. And after that, Guardiola he hooked him. I think in the 57th minute after Bellingham had scored, so it was clearly in agreement with everyone else that he wasn't playing well. But after that game, he comes out, he defends him, he sticks with him in the starting eleven the next game, and he then goes on to you know score in that Wolves match after a minute. If that plays really well against United in the five 0 win at Copenhagen as well, him getting dropped for the Liverpool game, many have kind of suggested that was the wrong decision and kind of upset City's rhythm. And I would prescribe to that um, way of thinking as well. But, but like when Grealish was playing bad, he backed him. And it's worked. And now it's subtle how De Bruyne, from all our eyes, and I certainly wouldn't be one to level any criticism, De Bruyne is playing really well, but um, scores an amazing goal, came so close to having two more assists. And yet he's getting, not criticised, but urged on to do even better. I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting the way which different players need different sort of motivations. Grealish seemingly might be one who needs a bit of backing, an arm around the shoulder, a confidence boost. De Bruyne may well be one who just, and I don't know what you think, if you think he needs to get even better, um, but maybe one who needs that to be spurred on, that bit of negging to um, make him even better. And as I say, if if he's not operating at his best yet, then God help um, every other City (laughs) opponent in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone was going to ask about, does Kevin De Bruyne need to be better? The question was, he scored a fantastic goal. Just how good is he? And he says, no, he can be better. He's he knows it. I've spoken to him. Um, it was yeah, it's a little bit surprising, but I, I guess it's exactly as you say. It must be a way that Guardiola thinks he can get more out of De Bruyne and keep him on his toes and stop him from being complacent. I, I think he's said it before. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I think he's called out De Bruyne before. He's definitely called out others. So. He, he must know. He, I mean, he's worked with De Bruyne for so long. He'll know how to get the best out of him. And I don't think he was at his best on on Saturday, but I don't think anyone really was for City. Again, in the second half, the levels dropped. Brighton pushed on really well, took control of that second half. But it, it was it felt like more of a collective drop from City rather than anyone in particular. And if, if you are going to have a bad half, if you like, then, as you say, he was the one driving forward to feed Mahrez that could and maybe should have made it 3-0 just before Trossard got one back for Brighton. And he was the one who 
got the ball, put it onto his right and whipped it into the uh, the top corner. So if he's having a bad game and he's he's creating the chances to kill the game off and then scoring it, then yeah, I don't think City will complain too much. But I'm I'm guessing that's more of a message to De Bruyne than anyone else. I don't I don't think anyone watching that game was thinking, oh yeah, he's he's off it here, he's 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 declining. No, he's he's still at his best and. Um, if City are going to win anything this season, he's going to be the as important as Haaland. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think maybe the, I think it might be a response from the Liverpool game, perhaps where he wasn't good, yeah. and that's not really it wasn't really his fault. It was the way Guardiola set the team up. I think that was more the fault. De Bruyne and Liverpool did well to stop this from happening as well, as we discussed. But with how De Bruyne was positioned, kind of further on the right flank, he couldn't get in that that little pocket of space between between the kind of the box. And the the touchline, that deadly mm-hmm. space where you can deliver crosses that are so hard to defend against. It's a position that speaking of Liverpool, Trent Alexander Arnold has made like his own and made his delivery so hard to defend against because it's kind of it's deeper, but they get whipped in quite close to the um to the six yard line. So it's it's a hard place for keepers to commit to, and defenders are usually on the turn going backwards, can't keep their eye on the ball and the whoever they're marking at the same time. It was those. I, I don't know if De Bruyne got into as many similar positions as that against Brighton, or maybe that's what he's wanting to see more of, perhaps. It, yeah, it was a lot more balanced against Brighton, as we spoke about. He was isolated on as a right winger, where City played the majority of the play through the left, and he was just he had no no supply um, against Liverpool. So yeah, if it is a comment on that, I, I don't think it's particularly his fault. I think it, that that was a mix of the tactics and, as you say, Liverpool's defending. Um, but no, against Brighton, it was a lot more balanced. De Bruyne was back on that, the right of the midfield too. He had someone to pass to in Mahrez. Um, Akanji was the right back. So not so much overlap, but no, it, it, it was a bit more fluid and a, a more settled system against Brighton. But clearly that's not good enough for uh, Guardiola. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds at Dortmund if, if it has given him a a kick up the backside, but um, yeah, no, I, as I say, I don't think anyone was going to question Kevin De Bruyne because he basically won the match for City with that mm. with that uh, late goal. Mm, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, I think if Guardiola wants the best from De Bruyne, if he sees another level, then I think he needs to, I know Foden was rested for Brighton, I'm going to guess, ahead of Dortmund, which while City have qualified, as we'll get to, still, still an important mm-hmm. game. I think the best De Bruyne has been this season is when Foden's been there with him. I think it's the three-game stretch. Um, it was the, uh, I want to say, United. And was there a big win after that? Wolves, maybe? Southampton, Wolves, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Southampton. Yeah. Either way, in three, in a three-game stretch, he got five assists. And each of those games were when he was on the right and had Foden, who is just been a better run of form than Mahrez so far this season. And they, I think I've said numerous times in this podcast, they, they were developing a really interesting, intricate kind of and deadly partnership down that flank. And, you know, Walker being out 
it'd be interesting to see how McBerry could get and if there's a bit more room for both to cut inside with Walker bombing on instead of Akanji. But I do think that Akanji or Stones at right back has offered both of them that more of a sturdy presence that where you know then they're always going to be an option there. There's always going to be a player back to pass to, whereas they're not likely to overlap quite as much. But that gives De Bruyne and Foden to almost create their own overlaps. The amount of times where De Bruyne himself had been overlapping Foden for Foden to play a nice little ball into him with his stronger foot, I think it was working so well. I think I want to say a game before the United match where they got an assist from De Bruyne, kind of a cutback sort of across the Haaland. There's been so many Haaland goals at this point, it's hard to pinpoint which one's which. There might have been four scored in that exact same way for all I can remember. I I, and that's, I, I know Foden was resting. It wasn't, you know, Mares isn't exactly a bad substitute or anything like that. But I think if he wants for if he wants De Bruyne at his best, then it's clear to me that it, Foden is helping him take his game to another level just because that partnership's working so well. Similar to how Grealish and Bernardo were doing really well on the other side until, again, until he rotated a bit controversially and maybe disrupted that rhythm a little bit. Possibly. Um, I did feel like Saturday was a, an audition for Grealish and Mares to fight for one remaining spot against Dortmund. Um, possibly Grealish edged it, but again, I think he might have wasted a bit of an opportunity because while he was solid and did the job that was expected, he didn't trouble the goals or his assists again. Um, Mares missed that chance and had a couple of nice flashes, but again, was the first to be re- replaced. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The City's strongest side at the moment is uh, De Bruyne and Bernardo in the middle, Foden on the right, and then probably Grealish on the left, just for a bit of balance. Um, and Because he can do what he always does and draws defenders in and then flicks it out to someone in space. I, th- I think that's the most settled and, and most dangerous attack at the moment, but that attack can't play every uh, three days, every there uh, a game every three days. Um, and with a game against Dortmund coming up, Leicester away on, on Saturday is going to be pretty tough given they've put a couple of wins together. So I think it was probably a good opportunity to to rest Foden and, and go from there. And you've got to use the squad that you've got and you can't play that that full that full strength team every game. Mm. So um if you can rest someone like Foden you're not gonna you're not gonna say no. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say for Grealish's credit, it was he had a lovely little move with De Bruyne in the first half when they kind of played mm-hmm. a quite a high-paced one-two. And De Bruyne brought a really good save out of Sanchez. You know, Grealish. And to be fair, that that move came about because Mahrez took on three players and and set Bernardo free. Yeah. So yeah, they, they so both had flashes, in. but not not sort of the best individual mm-hmm. performances, I'd say. Absolutely. Listen, we've got a we've got a podcast to fill, and if we need to find nitpicky things to discuss, then we will. Because <laughs> it's hard to criticise a team who you know usually wins so relentlessly as they did um, against uh, Brighton. But as, as you say, Joe, there was like a little uh, drop off in the second half. It's, it's kind of been a, a, it's a trend we've seen a few times now. I'd say. Um, I'm trying to think which game it was recently where the um, were really. No, United, obviously, they, you know, the six one up, six nil up, wherever it was, and it ends up being six three. Like, is is it is it just one of them where the game's over, you're just trying to rest up and do against a good team, they score, or is there a little bit of cause for concern that they might be switching off a little bit? Yeah, it's it's not a terrible problem to have if you're winning comfortably and still win comfortably, but 
yeah, I would imagine Guardiola would have wanted the third goal relatively quickly, possibly take Haaland off, maybe De Bruyne, maybe Cancelo, um, rest rest some players up for the, the trip to Dortmund. But um, again, as I said before, Brighton came out and decided that they weren't going to get beat 4 or 5 nil, And I, I think they deserve credit for that because they played sort of bravely, attacked quite well, got a goal. Again, I think Edison should have done better with that goal, but they got themselves level and they deserved, not level, they got themselves back in the game and, and deserved it. Um, and the net, you could tell that the next goal was going to be crucially Brighton had got that then they might have gone on to win because the momentum was with them um, the fact that City got it it was a, a really important goal and that, that's what Guardiola said after the game he said because of De Bruyne's outstanding goal it ensured that the last 15 minutes were a lot easier and he could do things like um, I think he took Haaland off I think towards the end um, yeah he did because he, he was uh, he only got two goals and not another hat-trick Um failure he was on Saturday um, but yeah no, I, I think possibly Guardiola will look at that and, and see what they're, they're thinking in the second half but I, I, again if, if, if you've got so many games where you are easing off in the second half then maybe it, it's something that is uh, come, comes back in games where you do want a little bit of a, a boost uh, to get that third goal of, or fourth goal and really kill it off but as much as City did drop off, I think Brighton played their part in that second half and uh, were as impressive as, as City were not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as we say, we can find maybe concerns for the future and whatnot, but it's still a win's a win. And it ended up being quite a good weekend for um, City in terms of results going their way. Arsenal, um, good run of form, finally came to an end. They drew with Southampton, so the point gap has shrunk back down to two. And Liverpool, who of course were back last week after beating City, <laughs> fell to a, a really shocking defeat um, against Nottingham Forest. Um, uh, so, you know, so they're still back to 10 points behind City. And then Tottenham, oh, did they end up losing to Newcastle? I think I, I, I don't know if I they did, yeah, too well. yeah. Yeah, so they lost as well. Who are, and, you know, Spurs are currently third. I mean, it's Newcastle who, worryingly already, um, they're up to fourth now and have. In a, I think only lost once all season. Um, of course, Drew was City early on. They're the team who are in form, um, perhaps even more in form than City at the minute. Uh, already, their um, you know their new ownership structure really kind of literally paying off for them. And yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting one. A good weekend results for City, but Newcastle sneaking up there. Maybe they'll be a, a, a contender earlier than many would have thought, and would be one. If they do end up keeping this going, I can't see it. I think it'll end up dropping off. They still don't have the deepest squad. But if they end up sticking around in that top four, they'd have done it a lot quicker than City did when their takeover went through. Yeah, I think if you offered them sort of Europa League football, they'd snap your hands off, wouldn't they? So, um, yeah, they've, they've done really well. And I, I watched a fair bit of that um, that goal, that the game against Tottenham, and I thought they were quite good and took the game to, to Spurs and took advantage of Spurs being... Uh, maybe not on it. So, um, yeah, no, I would. I, I think they deserve to be top four at the moment. I think another good one was uh, an, a useful result for City was United getting that late draw against Chelsea because it just keeps everyone a little bit further away. So even though City didn't play against Arsenal in the week, they've basically strengthened their position on on second place. And with Arsenal drawing now, City could end the period before the World Cup, top of the league 
assuming that they beat Leicester, Fulham and Brentford, which they would be confident of doing. I think Arsenal have to play Chelsea, possibly away from home. So that could be an opportunity for City to at least get those two points back and maybe even overtake them. So if if those other teams can have a little bit of a wobble and um, and City can carry on winning, then they could end up for a month top of the league. And that would be just sort of a warning to everyone who maybe can't put runs together. And if Arsenal... If Arsenal are going to be title contenders, they need to beat teams like Southampton. If they can't do that, then they'll be looking at City. And if City are just plugging away, getting good results like they did against Brighton, even if they're not playing particularly well, then you know I, th- I think their their position has been strengthened in the days since losing to Liverpool, especially with Liverpool losing as well. That sort of ended their uh, resurgence within about four or five days now, hasn't it? Um, and and yes, City will be very happy with how the other results have played out after losing at Anfield because it could have gone completely different and they they might have been third or something, I'd, I'd, I don't know, and, and a few more points of Arsenal. But now they're within touch and they can go top um, maybe in a few weeks and, and they'll be on, on course to, to winning the title again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a last little bit of Premier League news before we turn our attention to Europe and a bit of breaking news for a rarity, Joe, that we've seen. But the, the first round of fixtures after the World Cup have been announced over the Christmas period and City will play Leeds and the game, instead of being on Boxing Day, will actually be on December 28th with an eight o'clock kickoff time. So two days extra recovery for City and extra two days preparation after players return from the World Cup can only be good news. They both t- um, City will play again three days later, however, so there is a bit of um, bit of a downside to that. They'll play again on uh, New Year's Eve. But I, I think if Guardiola had a choice, he might be a bit happier with two more days before the football kicks back off than the short recovery time. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think he, he, he will often complain about the Christmas fixture list, but that's looking probably as good as you're going to get. Maybe finishing the game against Leeds on, I think it's the Thursday at eight o'clock and then playing at three o'clock on the Saturday. Not ideal. But yeah, those extra couple of days after after the World Cup and City would probably expect to have a few players in in the semi-finals or final of, of the World Cup. So give them an extra couple of days to, to recover. Um, going to, to Chelsea on the fifth rather than the second again gives a few more days. Um, it'll depend on the FA Cup draw, which I think is the weekend after, to see how the fixtures then pan out after that. But no, I, th- I, th- I think they will be pretty pretty content with that. And uh, um, the, yeah, football fans might like a Boxing Day fixture or whatever, but uh, there'll be enough football on over the mm. over, over the period, won't there? You're shaking your yeah. head. Some fans might like it, but I tell you, we don't like it. Journalists. Could not no, be more no, happy. No. There's, there's no United game either. <laughs> Get in, baby. Love it. Absolutely love to see it. Thank you, Fixture Computer, for sorting us out there. Very appreciated. A little early Christmas present there, belted. Anyway, let's move on from the English shows from the Premier League and go over to Germany, where, of course, our colleague Simon Bukowski is already there because City come up against Dortmund tomorrow. It was a game, of course, that was very tough for City a few weeks back now at the Etihad. Dortmund, I think, took a lot of people by surprise with a really resolute defensive display and were close to winning about 15, 20 minutes away from getting the result of the Etihad before John Stones took it upon himself to just whack it into the top corner and then 
of course, Ellen Haaland scored that ridiculously acrobatic volley to give City the win. But um, I think City will go into the game now a bit more prepared for what Dortmund may look to do. It, they might be a bit more progressive at home with that big 80,000-strong um, crowd behind them. But I can't. I don't suspect it would do too much of a different setup from Dortmund. City go into the game with no Sergio Gomez after his red card in Copenhagen a couple of weeks back. But John Stones is back. He was in the. Um, he was involved against Brighton in the squad on Saturday, and he's back in the squad again. Um, do you see Stonesy coming back? In Stonesy, who am I? I don't know him. I apologise for that. That was <laughs> disgusting. It's like when it's like when commentators call Alexander Arnold Trent. It's like, mate, come on. It's not that hard to say. But anyway, um, do you see Stones coming back in? Um, uh, for, you know, as, as I said earlier, City have qualified now, so there's not a lot riding on this. But Guardiola likes having top spots secured, and he won't be wanting to go into that last game if possible. Um, against Sevilla, needing to have a win to make sure his team are top. Yeah, um, I'm not sure Stonesy will start. I think you're doing it now. <laughs> and I think possibly he would have done if he was fit, if he played a couple of games because um, he obviously did quite well in the home game. But if this is his first game back, they might want to ease him in. Um, and ease him in if they are going to play him in a his more sort of comfortable position of of centre back. Um, Gomez's red card does complicate things because I, I would have thought he would have been an option to start and, and give Cancelo a rest. But in the circumstances, you you expect Cancelo will play Kanji again against his former club. He'll probably know how those forward players work. Probably going to stay at right back, I would guess, but. You've also got Nathan Ake, who could play on the left. You've got Laporte, maybe you could play on the left. But then Pep was saying Laporte does need his, his minutes managed at the moment. He's still not back to full fitness. He did take a whack at the end of the game and he was asking players not to pass to him because it was a couple of minutes before the end of, of injury time. But he was training today, so he, he seems to have knocked that off. I, I would guess it would be a similar back four that we saw on, on Saturday, maybe with Ake in for Laporte. But yeah, if if he starts Stones, it might indicate that that he is fitter than than possibly we think, and that would be an opportunity to to rest players again. Um, but no, I think I think the important thing for City is to get the point that will see them win the group, because then that gives them a completely dead rubber game against Sevilla. It means that they can fully focus on the next two Premier League games, um, and I think. That will be what Guardiola will look at doing. Although we said this last year, and they, they had a dead rubber against was it Leipzig, and he he played most of the first team. So um, you you never know what what goes through Guardiola's mind. Um, but Dortmund have have an opportunity to qualify. I think if they win, they qualify, and if they win by two goals, they will go above City because of it's separated on head to head rather than goal difference. So that's something that City might want to have in the back of their mind. Um, but they could draw, they could even lose and, and qualify depending on the other results. So um, it will be a lot of permutations, but um, it, it could get to a point where both teams are safely through and, and it it's pretty boring. But I don't I don't know. It, it seems like it should be a good matchup at, mm. at that stadium with those fans and Erling Haaland's return and, and sort of Bellingham on on fire. I think it could be quite a good game if, if both teams really go for it and are fighting to get the points that, that they need to qualify. I think it could be a good game. Yeah, I seem to remember the Champions League um, knockout game between the pair. Was it when Chelsea, uh, when City got to the final against Chelsea? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Was that the was that in the signal of the park when Foden scored that late goal? Um was it Foden? Man, everything just blends into Foden one. scored. Yeah. But it was behind closed doors, so it obviously wasn't with all the Oh, that was it. I feel like it was a good game though, no? It was a it was a good game, wasn't it? it both of them yeah. were quite tight, but I think City were deserving. Was it winners. in Hungary? Was there uh, a game no, in Hungary? That was... <laughs> there was that was um Munchen Gladbach possibly assists, man. last year with all the, the COVID regulations. What a weird time. What a weird time. But yeah, like I, I I remember that game when they last met a few seasons ago being good. So I was like, anticipating the home game being good and it was not for 70 minutes and mm-hmm. it was quite a drab affair until um well until Bellingham got the opener of on the arrow mark and gave City a bit of a kick up the backside. Um, yeah, do you, do you expect it to be a bit more um, a bit more open this time? Do you see Dortmund trying to do it, what they did at the Etihad again and keeping everything really tight and compact? Or do you see a, maybe them going for it a little bit more? Um, I hope it is. I hope it's a, an open game because they're two good sides, aren't they? And um, we saw what, what Dortmund are capable of. They've got sort of a good attacking players. Bellingham scored in every game so far and Royce and, and players like this. And yeah, I w- you. It's one of those where you have these games with lots of good attacking players, but then they just both settle for, both try and contain each other. Sometimes you just want them to both go at it. And I, I think to the credit, Dortmund did that in that, um, was it two years ago, the, the games we were talking about, they came out second best because City were better and uh, did exploit them, but it was a better watch from from memory so um yeah I, I would hope they do the same and maybe if city know they only need a draw that they can um the temptation might be to defend a bit but that city aren't city don't often get results if they they try and defend the better when they try and attack and 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 play their own way so i would hope that they do that and i hope that dortmund try and get um a result they need because they can still win the group if, if they beat city and um then better the result on the last day they win the group and what what a boost that would be for the last sixteen, um, so no, I would hope that that both teams go for it. So um, now we've spoken about it, it will be nil nil or one yeah. to, to Dortmund. I'm I'm absolutely sure. Well, are you absolutely sure? Mm-hmm. What score prediction are you going to go with? I think I'll go two one City again. I, th- I think it'll mm-hmm. as much as I want it to be an open game. I think it'll be relatively tight, but I think City will create enough chances. Okay, I'm going to go with 1-1. One, one. I think we'll get quite a tight and nervy affair. And I'm looking forward to it greatly. <laughs> um, we'll be back um, later on this week to dissect that Dortmund game and look forward to City's uh, Premier League match at the weekend, which is against Joel. Uh, Leicester away. 12-30 Leicester, on Very interesting. You know, as you said, Leicester getting a bit of a revival of late. Um, they're often good, quite good games, aren't they, City-Leicester? I feel like they're always high-scoring if um, if not close, I feel like City have battered them a few times recently. So it should, that could be a very good game as well. But we'll talk about all that later on this week. And of course, uh, we're going on to next week as well, right here on the Talking City podcast. But until we're back with another episode, you can keep up to date with all the latest City news and match day coverage over on manchesterunionnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get all the articles tweeted right onto your feed over at Man City MEN. And we'll be on Facebook as well, of course, at uh, Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. And of course, you can get us on Twitter individually if you are so inclined. I'm, I'm at Dan Murphy, MEN, and Joe is at underscore Joe Bray. There we go. Well, everyone, thank you very much once again for listening. As I say, we'll be back later on this week to hopefully have a really interesting game with Dortmund to talk about, or more likely 
dull, dull draw as that well nearly was um, <laughs> a few weeks ago. Hopefully, be a bit more exciting either way. We'll be here to talk about it. So thank you all again for listening. We'll see you then. See you around.